This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, and welcome to the Wednesday Twilight Show with me, Hannah Wilson. Tonight, I'm being joined by Ben West, who will be talking about um, suicide for mental health support for children. We will be discussing different strategies and things that we can do to make a difference to our students. He's a award-winning campaigner and author this and TV is Teachers presenter. Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. In today's educational environment, students and teachers are juggling a mix of face-to-face, online and blended learning courses. Canvas by Instructure helps teachers navigate these diverse learning experiences with a user-friendly virtual learning environment that offers flexible access to courses and a consistent learning experience, all while streamlining everyday teaching processes. The world's best schools and universities are using Canvas to create dynamic courses, collaborate seamlessly, and access actionable data that drives student success. On the 24th to the 26th of January, 2024, Bet UK is back and even better for educators. New for 2024, Table Talks empowers educators to collaborate openly and connect deeply with like-minded individuals in the education space, as well as tech user labs, the brilliant new tutorials and working groups at BET, where technology users will learn how to get more out of their institution's tech from the top education technology experts in the world. Whatever your goal, you'll find it at BET 2024. Educators go free. Get your tickets today at www.uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. Good evening and welcome on this Wednesday evening. Ben, can you hear me okay? I can hear you. Can you hear me okay, Hannah? I can. Thank you awesome. so much for joining me. Oh, thanks um, for having me on. I, I've... I've wanted to kind of host this show for a long time but for me it was finding the right person to come and chat with me about it um so I really appreciate you doing it because it's not the easiest of topics um but I think it's something that's really important to chat about and I think it's something that's becoming more prevalent um in schools as well um from my own experience I had a student um in lockdown uh commit suicide she was Mm. uh 15 um and um it happened in the summer so it happened in august um but actually a little while before that she came into school and thanked 
all the teachers and she seemed like in a positive place but mm. now reflecting on it she was actually coming and kind of saying goodbye wow. um so and again it was one of those that we looking at the evidence kind of she was referred um for help quite a long mm. time beforehand and just didn't get it in time um which is why i like i'm quite passionate about this but um tell uh, everyone who's listening a little bit about yourself because you're not a teacher you're <laughs> i've brought you in uh, from the outside <laughs> to the teaching world um because you uh... hello oh hello sorry i think i just yeah. uh, you just cut off the end of your thing <laughs> sorry yes thank sorry. you for having me i'm very pleased to be in the teaching world for an hour um no, really good. And I'm, I'm really sorry to hear about what happened with your, your student. That's so that's so sad. And obviously quite sad for me to hear the other uh, other side of that story because I was all, I was sort of on the other side. My story starts um, in 2017 when my younger brother, Sam, was diagnosed with clinical depression. And he was 15. He was in year 11. Um, and then he, uh, he struggled on for three months and then sadly died um, from suicide in January 2018. So just a few months before his, his GCSEs. Um, I was 17 when it happened. So I was um, just in year 12. So just starting A-levels. Um, and it was it was just absolutely, it was, it was horrendous, absolutely horrendous. Um, I mean, the, 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 the first sort of an initial aftermath was just, absolutely horrible you know grief trauma i was unfortunate in that i found him alongside my mum so that brought an enormous amount of um trauma and pain from that but actually going forward from that i realized quite quickly actually within the first few weeks that almost everyone i knew at school had something that was going on that they weren't really being very open about and they you know i had people come up to me and talk about diagnosis of anorexia, eating disorders, you know, people telling me they've been self-harming all the time. They, you know, people telling me that they'd attempted suicide before and never told anyone. And I sort of take a, took a step back and I was like, you know, this thing that I'd never really spoken about with anyone before, I'd never really heard of before, mental health, suicide, depression, eating disorder, all this stuff, suddenly was absolutely everywhere around me. Um, and it was quite scary um, given what I'd just gone through. Um, and so, yeah, that was that was 2018. All of that happened. It's now 2023. I've been doing this for six years. I'm trying my best to <laughs> help out where I can. And, and, you know, if that's working with government on policies in the past and trying to improve, you know, access to education for children in, around mental health, but also support for teachers um, and then um, also campaigning around universities and NHS support. Um, I'll do what I can because I, I think it's it's so sad that so many students do face such such massive amounts of pain um and unfortunately because of the because the world we live in the society we live in there really is such a lack of access to treatment and schools are in this really unique position where they are picking up a lot of the slack that on the nhs isn't and that's quite a unique situation to be in not many not often do you get the schools pick up what is basically a a, a healthcare um problem so I'm really passionate about helping people that were in Sam's position. I really think that Sam should still be around today. And if he was around today, he'd be doing what I'm doing now. So I'm, I'm incredibly passionate about trying to help, particularly young people, um, get through the various struggles. But, but everyone um, get through life. Um, so I think everyone can and deserve 
deserves to, to be happy and not have to face the darkness that comes with mental illness. Um, and we can do more to prevent that and treat people and um, and destigmatize the whole thing. So anyway, thank you for having me on. I'm really looking forward to our conversation because I think you're right. It's not something that's talked about enough in teaching, in schools. Um, and it's something that I think is a really, really, really important conversation to be having. Because statistically, it's it's quite a daunting thing. I was, I was looking through it and I, I can't find anything overly regularly, which I find um, quite interesting in itself as well, that there's not kind of any recent news articles about children's mental health, but it definitely all of the earlier ones suggest that it's only going to get worse in COVID. And I wonder whether people are kind of, that's going to come out sooner rather than later. But they say about 7% of children, um, so this was written in February 2021, uh, by the Guardian, and they said that about seven percent of children have attempted suicide by the age of seventeen, mm. and almost one in four so they have self harmed in the past year, um, and that's just quite an outstanding kind of number of children. That's that's one in four. That's quite a considerable amount of my class mm. that will have self harmed by the time that they're seventeen, and obviously there's the ones that we know that is it's very visible in schools I would say at the moment it's you can very much see it on on them where they self-harmed they're not they're Mm. not shy they're not hiding it some of them um but there obviously are the ones that are doing it in private and doing it in other ways that aren't Mm. so visible um so it's 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 really difficult because the ones you can see they're easier to help but they're also if they're showing it that badly they're in a quite a bad way that they really need that help um, it is a cry for help. It is is them trying to get attention, mm. um, but it's it's just really difficult. And I don't think as as schools, obviously, we we're, we're trained in looking for kind of the the issues and um, looking for different types of abuse that children are experiencing and trauma yep. and things like that. But we're not really given a huge amount of tools and certainly not regularly enough in my opinion of how to deal with that and cope with that we we have an amazing team in schools with people that kind of that they can go talk to we have a safe space and things like that and obviously there's cooth and things that they can the free app that they can log on and talk to somebody so there's lots of tools out there but as teachers in the classroom we're probably spending quite a lot of time with these students but we're not actually kind of really kind of I feel like it should be more of a, a whole school effort as opposed to it's yeah. oh it's that person over there's job to deal with all of those kids and, yeah. and the lady who does deal with them in my school oh my gosh I have such respect to her but she is exhausted on her knees yeah. at this point in the year um with the there's the huge number of children with kind of different mental health issues um is just staggering um what what do you what because i know you've been kind of doing you had a petition didn't you about going to parliament yeah. and you met boris johnson um <laughs> <laughs> i imagine that was an, that's a very interesting uh yeah, experience yes, <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but what do you want to see change and the government do differently look i think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head when you're talking about self-harm and and i i'll tell you why because self-harm is seen as a really it's a really confusing aspect for people that don't understand. It can be really scary. People don't really understand it. And and, and as a teacher, when you see that in the classroom, it's there's probably, and this is talking obviously as a non-teacher, so you can maybe you know correct me if I'm wrong, but it's probably quite scary to get involved in because it feels like quite a big deal. Um, and, and if you're not equipped with the tools to actually approach that and, and, and know how to interact with that student in the right way, actually what happens is, 
And what I've heard from people I've worked with is actually you sort of don't want to say the wrong thing. So you try and say nothing at all um, and hope that someone else picks it up. And, and that's not that's that, that goes for not just teachers, but actually most people. Right. Even if it's friends and family members, we tend to ignore things like that. Self-harm actually is is when you start talking to psychotherapists and, and professionals, it's actually a very treatable thing. Right. It's it's basically someone that is. You're right. You know, it's labelled as attention seeking. It's certainly trying to get attention. It's trying to get help. But actually, it's a it's a coping mechanism. And actually, you know, causing that physical pain, it releases dopamine in the brain. It, we contract the whole um, neural pathway. That it does make the person feel good. Um, and and what happens is, and I work with a, a psychologist who's been working in uh, clinical psychology for twenty years, and he's he gets a lot of um, self harm self harming patients referred to him, and if you can work with that patient to to come up with different strategies that give that dopamine release and for example if it's art or it's like going for a walk and all these things that we talk about so often if you can really get give give the patient those options and really allow them to invest in finding different ways that give them the same feeling he's he's never had a patient that has relapsed into self-harm after going through treatment and and finding something that works instead so it's incredibly treatable and this is sort of the crux for everything I'm about with schools and with teachers particularly because, and you mentioned there sort of a lack of, of tools and, and my petition to government. So anyway, when Sam died, I uh, was talking to a lot of the teachers that I was at school with um, and realised exactly that, that they didn't really understand these different, they're very difficult, complex topics. And because of that lack of understanding and the lack of knowledge and tools that they've been given to help, there was a very standoff approach of not wanting to get involved from, I might, as I need to add, like from a good place of not wanting to make it worse, right? Because you don't want to say the wrong thing. And anyway, I, I, I absolutely stand by the fact that I think you're right. Teachers need to be given this education um, because exactly how you said about your student that you unfortunately lost in, in lockdown, this is not going away. It's not going to change. Um, and, and it's, it's certainly not something you can avoid if you're working in schools. So we need to do everything we can to prepare teachers um, to, to have those conversations and spot those signs. And that is exactly what my petition was calling for when I started it back in 2019. It was to make mental health first aid a compulsory part of teacher training. And if you're a teacher, you'll, I'm sure, be aware of mental health first aid. It seems to be everywhere and everyone talks about it. Um, but basically, at the time when I did it, and I, I believe still now, Gov the government's official target or goal in terms of mental health with schools is to um, is to have one lead mental health first aid or one mental health lead in every school in the UK. And to me, just as you said, that strikes me as absolutely, absolutely bizarre because you have one teacher in a school that's just that's meant to look out for and, and safeguard all these people from that, with their mental health. It it doesn't make sense. You know, I worked with a school in North London. It's got one thousand five hundred kids. I mean, you, you, there's, there's no way that one person can deal with that. Um, and just like these basic safeguarding, um, the, the basic safeguarding training that teachers are required to have, I absolutely fundamentally believe that teacher training needs to include at least some sort of basic level training in, in terms of mental health um, of students. Um, because, you know, it's these, these signs and, and self-harm and, and all these signs that you can look out for and the understanding of how you how you might interact with a student that, that is displaying those signs and how you might then um, approach them and have a conversation with them and open that conversation. It's really, really important. Um, and, you know, I, I, I can pull up the stats of first aid versus mental health first aid. And you've got, 
you know, we all made it, we all make it clear that everyone should know, have the basic knowledge of how to use an EpiPen in case there's an anaphylactic shock in a classroom from a student with a severe nut allergy, for example, right? Um, that's a, that's great that we have that level of training and, and that, that sort of basic safeguarding training. But every year, there is 1,900, um, uh, I think it's 14 to 18 year olds that are hospitalized for anaphylactic shock. In the same year, in the same age group, there's 19,000 um, 14 to 18 year olds who are hospitalized for intentional self-harm or self-poisoning. So it feels like we need to also be doing the work, trying to create schools that really focus on training teachers, giving you guys the tools that you need to actually recognize when it's going wrong in a classroom and intervene. Um, and unfortunately, that's the position we're in because you're right, there's just so, there are so many people that are unwell. And we know that from a clinical point of view, you're, if someone's referred to CAMS now, they, they're going to be waiting quite a long time. The earlier we can get them on that, that sort of conveyor belt of support, then the better. Um, so we need a sort of whole school approach and actually a whole society approach to pick up on signs really, really early, get people onto the right support pathway. And then we know from evidence that the result is usually much, much better than if it was to wait um, and end up in crisis point. And that's not to say there's also issues to solve with the NHS, but I feel like we need to sort schools out. So give you all the training that you need and then and then go from there. And I did meet Boris and he, he hasn't done anything. So <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> at least you can say you met him. Um, that's yeah, Lyd Lydia, that's Lydia's true. written in. She, she, said, she said, I fully agree that teachers need more training. On the flip side, it is right for teachers to pick up on the, on the slack of the funding of the NHS and CAMS, where it's still an over a year waiting list. I worry too much that um, is being placed on teachers as being yeah. added to their expertise, taking away from them doing their job. It's a huge problem. What extent do teachers actually have time to carry any of support for the students? Because that's the thing. If we see anything that's happening with a student and we're worried about it, we, we call what it used to be called a nagging doubt form. But now it's like um, there's different systems like CPOMs and stuff. And you kind of yeah. write in like, oh, I, I noticed this kid didn't eat and had commented that they didn't eat this morning i'm i'm one of those teachers i always have extra breakfast bars in my in my bag and i nice, yeah. like if a kid accidentally drops into my conversation which they quite often do i think they know i have them um <laughs> yeah. i will <laughs> be like let have my have my bar is fine um and it's it, and I, it's funny that what you said before because i'm i'm an art teacher and i had a kid actually write me a christmas card um a couple of years ago and she was in a quite a dark place and she hated coming to school and, and was like, she used to lock herself in the toilet and not want to come mm. out all day. And um, I slowly would stand outside and coax her in. And um, she wrote me this Christmas card that said, kind of, I was in a really, really dark place. I didn't want to be here, but coming to school and having your lessons made me happy. And I found myself mm. and I became happy again. I got out of the dark because I had your lessons to focus on. And it is, it's, I think sometimes it's, it's, we teach so many kids, but we forget what an impact we can have yeah. on like certain little pockets of, of things. And, and I find it like, I, tr I, tr I think that the reason I do quite a lot of after school clubs and the kids kind of hang out and then they let things slip because they're a little bit more relaxed and it's slightly a more um, intimate environment where they can disclose stuff. Mm. But I also think there's that, that thing that I've always learned with teaching is, is to 
kind of humanize myself rather than being this yeah. authority figure I'll let them in on things in my life like I'm like I I had a bit of a, a horrific last year last year I broke one foot six months later I broke the other foot and then I no. got a DVT and a pulmonary embolism but I would oh, be no. like I'm really struggling I can't I can't work out like that's how I de-stress or I'm having to go for a walk nothing can be like made worse by a walk and and kind of expressing I that's the only th- way I can think to help these kids is to kind of express the ways that yeah. I de-stress to try yeah. and give them other coping mechanisms but um I mean I I'm very much have looked into everything because my niece is 15 and going through it quite badly at the moment she um well actually it was more last year she's a lot better this year she um has a medical condition with her lungs which means her life expectancy has been shortened and she was constantly Mm. in and out of hospital and because she wasn't in control self-harming was something that she could control um so for her it was getting that control back um and and she's i mean kind of like that idea like what's the point of of going on because i'm not going to live that long anyway and and it's really hard Mm. but i kind of having those those walks and those chats and kind of uh, explaining difficulties that I've been through in my life made her realize that she wasn't on her own and also that kind of thing of that resilience like whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger and and you can if you can survive this you can survive anything um and that kind of that you then you kind of you go from that thing of wanting to end it to then feeling invincible which is quite nice but I don't know how to kind of get that into um kind of into education a bit more like there obviously are pshe chats and things but it's very very light and surface level i don't think we go deep enough to actually kind of make it feel heard to the students yeah yeah i do i I completely agree and i think that's the second part of this is how do we how do we actually give them the right education what helps um because i you know you don't you don't want to to present it in a way that's going to to use a not a great word but like to make it unsexy right so you, and sort of make people feel like it's always oh, a bit boring right and you need it to be like oh this is really like this is like the walk thing because I feel like at school we I mean I had I remember having one sort of I had an external speaker come in and talk about you know mental health once and it just it just sort of lost the room a little bit um and as you sort of I've grown up I absolutely I love going for walks and being among nature and it's actually something I found absolutely amazing and it's just how do you sort of introduce that and and make it cool and make it trendy and make it something that people are going to want to listen to but just to come back quickly to what Lydia said I absolutely agree I think it's um we we I'd hate for a situation to, to create like create teachers being having to be jack of all trades and they already are i mean you're sort of you know safeguarding has become this massive thing and you've got to look out for almost everything from extremism to abuse to you know eating properly to mental health to all these things and and you know you, like, to, to an extent it's not really the job title the job title is teaching not um not having to look out for all these things so that's that's a that's a massive issue that i'm that I'm really conscious of. And also, let's face it, it's a really stressful job. Um, and the, the more you add to it, the more time you've got to spend doing stuff and, and you don't have the time to be spending doing particular things. So I completely agree that like the, the peripheral stuff to a school needs to get better. And I know that the the rollout of um, mental health teams, um, NHS mental health teams, I've heard some really good things about how they've been working with with schools. I'd, I'd love to hear if anyone's had experience working with a mental health team or has been assigned a mental health team. Um, I'd like to hear about that because apparently 
um, according to someone I've worked with, you know, it's it's turned what has been in the past like a six month, three month waiting list for someone that's deemed suicidal. They've managed to get support for a student um, within a matter of days um, on the NHS, which is which has sort of allowed the school to sort of almost use them as their mental health tool. Um, and it, that goes straight to like fast track to, through to CAM support. And they've got an assigned um, signed set of psychotherapists through the NHS for the school. And it almost sounds like that's what's needed to be rolled out sooner. And with their target, the government's target was 30% um, coverage by 2025. So it's, it's almost offensive how small the ambition is there. But from what I've heard, it, it's worked really well because you because I you don't we don't want a situation where you know schools and teachers are having to take up the slack of a, a, a NHS on his knees um when it comes to mental health so stuff like that I think is really really beneficial um and then also I think you know we need to get to a point where where we're sort of teaching young people and students about this stuff at a really early age I know I've worked with schools and had conversations with schools in the past about sort of mental health training and mental health education for students um and particularly like primary age and i'm sometimes met with oh but they're too young to be talking about that they're too, too young to be um you know talk to talk to about depression anxiety um, and what is mental health but actually you know I've, I've worked with a psychologist recently um and I, one of the questions i asked her was what was your what was the youngest what's your youngest patient um and she said she had she had a three-year-old who was self-harming with a rubber i mean these are not issues that are that are that are you know unique to adults um and i do think this education actually really needs to start early on and so i know someone that's um that's written children's books that are all about dealing with emotions and 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 going from literally four to five to six years old um early key stages really teaching about mental health well-being emotions you know looking after your friends talking walking nature all of this stuff from an early age so you're learning about it when you're learning to read and write um, which i think is really the the way we need to go forward and almost embed that education all the way through um but then we bring up a whole new issue which is that phhe is becoming um the uh sort of jack of all trades for for that sort of external um less subject specific uh topics like sex ed and and mental health and and all the other all the other things at home economics and all the other things that you can bundle into it and that that again is like a massive pressure for schools and and quite difficult to fit everything into one into one um potentially one hour every week <laughs> to cover all these things that the government keeps throwing at schools to teach about yeah, it didn't even used to be that. They've they've now put that in as um, a compulsory thing that it has to be an hour. But it's so much to get in, and it's yeah. and it's so hard to picture because you've got such different kids as well. But like I said, I, I'm 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 a mum of a six year old, um, and I'm very much aware of kind of his mental health and and very much he will he'll already at six tell me that he has tummy ache and that means that he's anxious about something and then I'll, I'll kind of probe as like are you sad are you worried um and then he'll kind of tell me but I, I it took me quite a little while to realize that actually he didn't just have tummy ache he was actually telling me that he was anxious um so that they really do start young and i think it's kind of mm. also that whole understanding we're very much a nation that is must you bottle up bottle it up and you get on with yeah. it um yeah. that we kind of need to let children know that it's okay to feel it's okay to sit in those feelings and actually i've had that conversation with my family when when i when i've been upset about something they're like oh well there's worse people than you and you just got to get on with it and i was like no 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 i need to i just need to vent and i need to sit in it and i need to feel it and then i'll be fine 
but mm. I, I'm, I, I need to not shut it off. And I think we're so quick to do that. And then it all piles in and piles in and piles in and you never deal with it. Um, yeah. Quite often we talk to the kids about kind of our buckets and this idea that we fill the bucket, fill the bucket. But if we like, if we kind of give too much to everybody else and everything else, we're not kind of dealing with yeah. it and we overflow and that's what we kind of can't cope with. But we need to have outlets to kind of manage it. And I think that's quite a nice way, a visual way of kind of explaining yeah. it. But I don't think we go really beyond that with the students in terms of really getting them to think about how they can manage their their mental health. And um, I love the the idea of the late the people that come in and and do the, what what you, they were called the, the the you said there was a target for thirty percent of them to go into school. By yeah, it's to the the mental health teams. Mental health teams, they yeah. sound amazing. That should be a hundred percent. Yeah, because oh, it is exactly yeah. It is so tough. And I and I think that's the problem with teachers as well, is that we're struggling. My, my sister's a Senko and she's had kids that have really, really struggled with mental health. Some of them have been violent um, and they've been waiting ages and ages and ages to see CAMs, finally see CAMs. The kid swears at them. They say they're not going to look deal with yeah. them anymore and send them back and tell them the school t- to deal with them. Yeah. Um, so there's that issue as well, is that we kind of support them and support them and support them and then they get finally get there after all that wait and then they're not kind of looked after in the right way either um so I think I think it's one of those as teachers we always feel that we're not our opinion isn't necessarily valid but actually if there's if there's that mental health support that can kind of get that quicker route into it and 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 be like these students need help I mean I've already this year had students with um quite difficult situations that have had to be had police in and stop them yeah. from harming and had to tackle them um mm. and 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 they're, they're back in school and it's and we have to deal with those students every day and we have to consider how to keep them safe every day but that's yeah. just one student and it's like this idea that it's for me it's the idea that it's one in four like so mm. many more than what we think it is and how how can we protect them it's really really difficult that is difficult that is really difficult and um, sorry, just on your your on a, what you said about spending time with your thoughts and and that and having like emotions aren't the enemy and it's it's great to spend time with them. I read a study; they did a study recently where they gave adults the option of spending five minutes alone with their thoughts or receiving an electric shock. And I think it was ninety five percent chose to have the electric <laughs> shock because <laughs> um, we're so, especially British people, we're so we ter- we don't like sitting with our own thoughts. I mean, we literally, I mean, fill we fill our days and fill our time with doing other stuff. And even when we're not doing anything, we're reading a book or watching TV or listening to a podcast, listening to the radio, um, and we're sort of trying to we're trying to escape those those moments we have alone. And I think that's really the big thing about it. Um, and I I was taught by um, a counsellor of mine. Um, she was just like, what are you doing to look after yourself? Um, and I sort of listed all the things. I was like, oh, I'm going for a run. I'm doing this. I'm sort of, you know, I might do whatever, right? And she was just like, We're, we are human beings, Ben, not human doings. And sometimes the best way to process all the stuff that's going on is to actually not do. It's actually just be. And all that sounds really like spiritual and a bit, you know, <laughs> a, bit, a bit strange. It's actually so true. Like emotions and, and feelings, they're there because your brain is trying to process an event um, and it's trying to make you feel so you can process it and sort of file that thought and that feeling away and take the heat out of the experience. And the only way we actually 
get through those experiences and get through those emotions and process them is by feeling them but unfortunately we're we're so we're so find it so difficult to experience those and so difficult to feel things and so difficult to actually sit with thoughts that a lot of those feelings don't really properly get filed away and they just build and build and build um and you know we do live in in a world where it's not it's not trendy to to talk about emotions it's not it's not cool to sort of to sit and think about things we're, we're you know students will go home and they'll have access to tiktok and instagram and and you know all this stuff that's trying to steal their attention and you know we, you can do anything but actually think about your emotions and and that's the difficult thing it's like trying to find the persuasion there to actually let them have some time and um and just on just on sort of sam's point of view and in, in, in all of this as well i remember he was diagnosed with depression uh clinical depression when he was 15 at school and the I, we never really spoke about it to each other i never really asked him about it he never brought it up with me he was he was incredibly embarrassed by having depression he was incredibly embarrassed because he felt very weird um all he wanted more than anything was to fit in and have his have his thing and have his group and i don't think he ever felt like he fitted in and then suddenly this diagnosis came along um and and he just felt so embarrassed by it um and so he was really passionate about talking about it talking about depression the fact that everyone you know so many people have it almost everyone struggles in some way and i think so much of what schools can do is actually just normalize the fact that this goes on you know i had no idea going through school that so many people are really struggling sam had no idea that so many people at school were also really struggling and it was it's quite ironic you know this what we think makes us different um going through depression going through periods of eating you know difficulty with eating and you know all sorts whatever whatever you're dealing with we think it makes us different but it actually makes us the same and i look back and i think how sad it is that he felt so embarrassed by something that almost everyone was going through at school um and unfortunately no one really spoke about it and no one really spoke about the fact that so many people were going through it and i think actually that a place that that teachers and schools and education and pshe can play is just actually normalizing the fact that so many people are going through it because a lot of these these children are struggling with the fact that actually they probably feel quite weird and they probably feel like they're they're broken or, or have something wrong that's different to other people and probably feel like um they've been dealt an unfair hand um that other people haven't and that makes me that makes me quite sad um and i think there is a real there's a real point to to go and say you know we we can normalize this and um and show people that actually they're not weird for going through stuff like this it's an illness like anything else um and you know people can help and there's help available obviously with the nhs it does take some time um but but yeah th- i think it's important to sort of make people realize that it's not you're not broken for having depression and it's not broken to have things going on at home or or any of this um and on the nhs i mean you talk you tell that story of of going all that way and then you know being being swearing and then being told you're not allowed to have treatment and you're sort of back to school i remember being told a story from um from someone uh from an a and e doctor that said they had a, a someone a young person present with really really bad social anxiety to the point where they were you know wouldn't go out terrified of school missing school um and they were referred through to cams and um cams after a after assessments and all sorts offered them group therapy 
<laughs> and because she turned it down, she was told she wasn't allowed. She wasn't allowed to access support on, on the NHS because she turned down treatment. And so we've got to do so much. We've got to do so much to employ people into the NHS to improve improve access. Because I saw a message just go up there, a, a comment saying, you know, there needs to be sort of like a triage and that, that sends it straight from school to the NHS. In a perfect world, that's exactly what would happen. In a perfect world, schools would educate about coping mechanisms, educate about what this stuff is, and teachers would be able to pick up early on signs and triage them through a mental health lead and straight into an NHS uh, mental health team. And then they get treatment that they need whilst they're, doing, they're continuing with school. That's the absolute perfect situation. Um, but we've, uh, yeah, we've got a long way to go before that. Um, and and a lot of a lot of a lot of money needs to be invested into the NHS and and schools actually um, to make that happen. Because that that's my opinion that if you put the money and invest it into schools, it will relieve the tension into yeah. education um, into the NHS. But it's just finding the time. But it is that thing of they feel like they're the only one and they're abnormal for feeling how they feel. Yeah. But actually, it's it's not almost it's not even a case of will you feel like that it's is case of when you feel like that like the amount everyone will feel like that at some point in their yeah. life so it is a life skill that we're kind of not delivering properly to these students and and it's the idea that and i think that's the thing as well we quite often do a mental health assembly like before exams and kind of like this is how you cope with stress and actually it needs to be more regularly because they might not be stressed at that point but they will be stressed at a later point Exactly, and yeah. and there'll be points where their mental health will be up and down. And actually, if they have the right assembly at the right time, then there might be like, oh, OK, that's what I need to do. And it yeah. might prevent it as opposed to being this kind of one day, once a year or that one time, <laughs> that other time. Yeah. It needs yeah. to be a more continuous string through education, I think. Definitely. hundred uh, percent. And also, I remember when we had our one talk about mental health. Uh, it was a, I think it was a Wednesday afternoon and the following Wednesday in the same slot, there was like a two hour, there was a two hour thing about French pantomime. So that's where, like, that's where it got folded, filed away in my head of, of like a level of importance. It was like on the same level as, as French pantomime. I was like, oh, mental health, French pantomime, fine. Um, and it, it sort of needs to be really important. And unfortunately, like it's, it's one of those things that, that can slip away. You know, someone's mentioned there that some schools still don't have unmandated time for PSHE. It sort of feels like in the current setup that it's the second most important thing. When, you know, I work with companies that, that, that employ people from school and whilst they're at school. Um, and what we see is actually from an employability point of view, you know, they'd much rather employ someone that's coming to them with fantastic coping skills, that's mentally healthy, that's thinking really clearly and, and coming to them like that, um, but that's potentially not, I don't know, doesn't know the quadratic formula, for instance, um, then then employ someone that is actually, you know, working at 50% because they are burnt out and struggling with stress. Um, it's absolutely crucial that we teach people life skills like dealing with stress because we're all going to face it. And you're right, we everyone goes through breakups, people go through illness, people go through grief. Um, you're going to face really, really significantly difficult issues in life. And, it, and we're setting people up to fail if we don't properly teach them how to navigate that. Um, and, and actually, I, I was going to bring it on to, to your subject, art. Um, it was Sam's favourite subject at school. He absolutely loved art. He was, in, he was so talented at it. Um, and he was also really talented at music. And he was doing, um, he was in year 10, so the year before GCSE. And the school dropped 
music and art from the but they didn't have the budget for music or art so i think it was sort of this perfect storm for sam where he felt a little bit diff different and then his one the one the couple things that he enjoyed that were sort of his identity were dropped off the off the you know he couldn't do them anymore and i think that just sort of i think that really really impacted him if i'm being honest his escape was art and music um but also it was what he was talented at and by dropping them what it did was make him feel like what he's good at really isn't important so all these people he was around that were good at science and maths that were doing really well at school were suddenly thriving and he was left not really doing he really struggled with maths and english and science but the thing he was good at was suddenly the least important subject that was dropped um, and we know that art and music have massive benefits for people's mental health. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm terrible, absolutely terrible at art, but I still, I still occasionally try and do something creative because I absolutely, I do genuinely love it. Um, but he, I, I felt like when, when they took away art, that really, and music, that really impacted him actually, um, because it was like he's, like I say, it was his, it was his thing, and basically it was the least important subject in the eyes of. I think I was of whoever it was at the time, Michael Gove, maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably. And um, and so I guess, and you know, even now we're hearing on in, from Parliament that students have to study proper subjects and and you know further cuts to art and music at school. When actually, if anything, they should be the ones that we're developing as as a tool to teach about stress um, and teach about coping mechanisms and actually use them as a sort of vehicle for this this education um if we're not if PSHE isn't gonna work then then use it as a sort of way of like you know we're not just doing this subject for fun like we're we're developing your creative brain and we're giving you a tool that you can use wherever you are to actually find some peace and some relaxation like I think it's such an such a missed opportunity to use it um I don't know if you have any thoughts about that from your side but I think it's I think it's it's a shame when it's when it's cut off as if it's the most the least important subject. Well, actually, I think it's one of the most important. I I could rant about this all day. Um, there's actually a, a study um released uh, last year um about the arts and the impact that it has, and actually that it does have a positive impact on students' um, mental health. They're also more, more likely to go into a job that they enjoy and have a better yeah. mental health, and less likely to access mental health. Uh, support later in their life if they do an, an art subject and also it's one of the biggest creative industries in our country and one of the biggest yep. growing industries so for me it's that counterintuitive like um actually they shouldn't we should be encouraging them i've done a whole show i've done a whole hour and a half on this ben um about kind of <laughs> yeah. um we need to encourage students into those creative subjects and those non-core subjects, there's, there's too much pressure on kids to do well in English oh. and maths and science. And this whole adding on the maths to, uh, to 18, like there's kid, the kids in year seven are freaking out about that already that are struggling with it. Mm. That Like, they, yes, they need to have a GCSE in it, but they need to understand life skills like credit cards and, and how to pay it off and how debt yeah. works and how taxes work and how mortgages work and things. But if they can do that and, and, and live... But it's, it's better, surely, uh, we, there's a lovely lady called Susan Cole and she always rants about it. She always says it's much better to encourage students into a job that they love than to have a job that's about money. Yeah. Um, and this whole time's rich lift and it's like oh if you if you become a solicitor then you'll earn this much or if you earn this much these are the jobs that you we need to push students into and it's like no no we should be pushing students into finding careers and subjects that they yeah. love and enjoy 
And it shouldn't be that they I, I had a student last year who was very, very academic and he actually wrote he made me a whole uh, afternoon tea from scratch for his my leaving present. And um, <laughs> he wrote me a little note that said I picked photography as a DOS subject. I thought it would be a bit of light entertainment between mm. my really, really heavy academic subjects. But actually, it was the place where I found myself It's the place that I found my confidence and it's and it's become the thing that I look forward to and loved every week. So it's yeah. like that idea that even that it it can have this real positive impact on somebody. And he's gone on to be a primary school teacher, so I love that. Oh, I love that. Um, <laughs> but amazing. but it's it. it I, I think that that and it's and it's. I'm I'm a bit of a t- like obviously I host a teaching podcast. I'm a very much teaching geek. But I was listening to uh, Parliamentary Time um, the other week, and that there's just no like mention of mental health and what they're going to change and what they're really going to do. There's just it seems to be very low on the agenda. Mm. Um, but it is like those that I know a school locally that they have um, a Wednesday morning. They have an hour and a half slot. Uh, where the seven, eights and nines, so the QSO three can um, pick any subject that they like, that they like and go and have a bit of a club kind of activity. And I think that kind of uh, thing should be encouraged more into curriculums that they have this choice and they can go do something that they can enjoy mm. midweek kind of balances it out. On the other side, flip side, the Q stage four students are doing extra English and math. So it's like, mm, um, yeah. wouldn't it be nice if they could do it as well? But I guess if they, they pick their subjects at that point, so they are having more hours in the subjects that they enjoy. But um, but certainly there's a lot to be said for kind of trying to find the space for kids to be able to do that in school. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's so interesting, isn't it? Because you sort of go through school and you ask, you go, I mean, I don't know about if you have these conversations with students, but I remember going to a school and I, I work with someone that goes to schools quite a lot as a sort of external speaker and she asks them like oh what do you want to do when you leave school um and these are sort of year 10 year 9 students and they'll be like oh lawyer doctor engineer um <laughs> like the, the carpenter all these jobs that you sort of like you you're you're exposed to and then you sort of leave school and you go into the working world and you realize there's <laughs> hundreds of thousands of jobs you've never even heard of before and it's just so strange because you sort of have this you're sort of told in that there's this career path and it's a lot about money and you sort of have this quite small view of what is available out there and you know you, you've got some incredible jobs and you're right creatively oh, it is it is an incredible talent to be able to be creative and and there's such a demand for creatives um, in almost everything. I mean, look around. Like, you can't go on the, you know, the bus ads, every ad, and TV ads, radio ads, like, design. Every, literally everything you see in the world is created by someone. And we have such a little, we have such little passion for creating the next generation of creators. Um, and you're right. You're like, you, let's face it. If you find something you love, you're going to you're going to be happy. Um, and I, I think it's so important to allow children to find what they like to do and then em- empower them to actually pursue it photography is a great example and it might not end up being a job but if you find something you like oh that's a gift isn't it to then be able to be like oh at the weekend I'm going to go and do that because that's why I enjoy and come back feeling refreshed and feeling like you've just gone and done something you love and I think it's really sad actually how many people I speak to and you ask them oh like what do you what do you like doing what do you enjoy and it's sort of oh movies social media yeah. 
and all of this stuff. And you're like, well, that, that's not hobbies. And I think actually a lot of the younger generation, particularly people I, I've sort of been in contact with, really struggle to tell you what hobbies they enjoy doing. Um, and it's really sad. It's like I've sort of, I can list a few things that I like doing and I've developed that and learned that and sort of tried, trial and error has found what I like doing. And even if I'm not very good at it, I'll still, I still have a, enjoy it. Um, and we do have this situation where people really don't know, don't know particularly what they like doing. And you're right. I mean, talk, talk about exam stress. I remember GCSEs, what is it like 23 exams you've got to do or something ridiculous. And it's like, um this whole this whole setup i don't know what your perspective is on it as, as a teacher but this idea that you work from what, like yeah i guess year year nine all the way through to year 11 on and then you're assessed on all of that in about two months over gcses and then you've got to do it all over again in another two years for a levels what's uh, that's an enormous amount of stress and it's interesting to say that even really small children are already worried about that because it is it's incredibly daunting when it, I, from my perspective, haven't been through all that, it seems pretty unnecessary that it's so stressful. Um, it could be done in a way that's far less stressful than, oh, here's an hour. If you don't pass this, you're going to have to reset the year. <laughs> and that's an enormous amount of stress to put on someone that's brain isn't fully developed yet and won't be for another potentially seven, eight years. And it, it is that at that point, if they're just ill or they have a bad night's sleep, like they're not yeah. going to produce their best results. I was really hoping with COVID because COVID kind of moved to work the way the art marks. So we mark all everything. They have a 10 hour exam to prove that they can make the artwork and yeah. maybe yeah. secretly painting it at home. Um, yeah. <laughs> but we essentially mark it and then a moderator comes in and picks 15 at random. And if our marks match theirs, they stick. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of hoping that it would go that way after COVID that once they realised that actually teachers marking there uh, and giving like a, a mark based on all the work they've done I think as well the way education going behavior is isn't overly um great at the moment that seems to be a general yeah. trend across all schools um and I think that actually if the students knew that their grades relied on uh, <laughs> their teacher that it, they would have to behave. They would have to have a good relationship with that teacher. They would have mm. to kind of work hard consistently as opposed to kind of messing around and distracting other people's learning as well. It would, it would potentially change kind of the school dynamic, but for a positive reason. And I think when else do you go through that stress of an exam situation? Yeah. You, you don't really, um, unless you're going for something very, very specific. Generally, everything is very more on the job kind of yeah. kind of style so I do, I do think that education needs to be changed and it, it, the same as in, in terms of teacher mental health like I know there's a big push at the moment to reform Ofsted because we like yeah. the teacher stress of, of kind of that coming in um is quite daunting and although I'm I'm love it I'm like send them to me um yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not afraid of you um yeah. I think it is it's that whole um building the, the we've, we've seen as teachers that since covid there seems to be a lack of resilience in students that yeah. um it was one of those that they didn't have to sit the exams they everything they did fall on their feet and everything was fine if they didn't go into school nothing really happened granted those kids that gamed all day every day and didn't interact with any of the home learning are now struggling and potentially are, are behaving worse because they can't access the learning because there's a real gap in year groups where the kids that did the work for mm. a couple of years at home and the kids that didn't, that there, there's a, a, a big kind of difference between them. Um, yeah. And especially, I think also that kind of addicted to screens was kind of really increased in that time. 
and that kind of unrealistic expectations of what social media is versus what the real life is. And like you said, like they don't really necessarily have as many hobbies as they did. Like granted, I, I, I broke my first foot. I planned a staffing surfing well-being session and broke my foot surfing. And the second right. one, I won a rock climbing experience that was not so lucky. Um, but the kids <laughs> oh, love no. learning that I do those things in my spare <laughs> yeah. time. Um, so it is, it's, and I think I've chatted about this before in terms of um, the schools outside of London, the kids didn't do as well in their GCSEs as others. And there's a lot of data that says the kids that do cultural capital kind of other activities. So do a club outside of school. If a kid does a club outside of school for one hour a week, it equates to the equivalent of a GCSE because they gain more experience and social experiences uh, and more cultural kind of exposure. Um, and I think it's that thing of since COVID, a lot of funding has been cut. So there's not as many clubs or opportunities for yeah. students, especially those from disadvantaged backgrounds. Mm. And then add to that the fact that there's also a lot of cuts, cuts to transport. So these kids are kind of especially rural kids. They're stuck in a place and they can't they can't get out. They can't get anywhere. They can't do anything like majority of our kids are all bussed into school. So they, they just unless somebody's going to drive them there, but their parents are all working extra hours and stuff and there's there's that lack of opportunity to do those things and I think that's Mm. having an impact on their mental health as well they haven't got that club to go and de-stress and learn and and build those connections with other people they're just going home and building connections with a world that doesn't really exist um so I think we'll see the impact of that more and more um but yeah I don't know (laughs) I don't know how the I don't think the government's going to fix that one anytime soon Oh, I know, I know, it's a nightmare. And I was, I, so it doesn't feel like it's on the. It's, it's crazy because I've, I've, I've worked with a few, worked for a few politicians, unfortunately. And you sort of, um, you sort of have these conversations with them, and they, they seem like they get it, and they seem like it's a priority. And every mental health awareness day, they churn out this stuff about it being a priority. But you listen, like you did, to prime minister's questions and all of this and it's just it just falls to the wayside and you're like what well, is it really as much the priority as everyone is making out to be i remember i watched uh so i was really heavily i was quite involved in um and still am actually involved in sort of university mental health support um and that's all a whole nother situation um anyway that was a mess during covid i was at uni during covid and that was just awful actually really awful um and there was this there was this uh a session in parliament after covid and it was it was titled lessons lessons um learned uh in higher education since covid 19 and so i was i went along and i was like oh this would be interesting because it would be hopefully some cool like good stuff about mental health in there and um (laughs) mental health got one mention in the whatever hour and a half that it was and then the rest of the time it was spent on funding for extra stuff that they needed um which probably goes to buildings and things and it's just it strikes me so weird how we've got this real problem and if we solve this problem we're going to unlock billions from the economy not that that's the aim at all but unlock billions from the economy we're going to save lives no doubt we're going to increase people's happiness level satisfaction with life we're going to make more creative people, make more people. Love. And you're like, if we really address this and solved it, we'd have such an amazing, amazing population in this country <laughs> that loved life. And isn't that isn't that such an incredible thing? And it just feels like every time it's brought up, it's like the least important subject in the room. Like people roll their eyes at it. 
Um, and it, it's it's really sad. And obviously, you know, both of us have been on the other end of it, which is a, a tragedy, and that's extremely sad. But it, we do need commitment from funding. We need commitment to funding the NHS. We need innovative solutions with with schools. I know I, I work with Dr. Alex George. I know he's just had his funding for um, early support hubs signed off, which is great. So they're rolling out on a trial. Um, that's great. That's giving early access to children and young people to have support um, without a, without a uh, without a referral, which is great. Um, I work with a, a great charity called Beyond that runs a mental health festival every year for schools. Again, brilliant. They give free resources to schools, award money to schools for this sort of stuff. Um, but then we just need more money in schools. We need better funding for, for extracurricular activities. We need better funding for, for outside school clubs. We need we need NHS to be connected more with schools so schools can act as triage and then send students rapidly across to for treatment. We need teachers to be trained in, in mental health so they can assess the signs and, and be early intervent intervent interventions, uh, become early interventions for students. And then if we get all that right, then hopefully we're in a position where a student can be can alert a teacher through their actions or how they present. Teacher can refer to mental health leave. Mental health leave refers students to NHS. NHS sees them within a couple of days. They get treated, they come back and they love their after school club and they're really excited by all this stuff and they come out as a really happy, well-rounded person. And that to me is really exciting because I think that's really possible. But you listen to politicians and it's like people have just lost sight of that vision. Um, and that's the vision we should all be striving for because that's so exciting and so lovely to imagine a world where we find that the good in every child and give them the opportunity to get treatment and get help and then go back and find what they love like that excites me because i think we'd solve so many of this country's problems by doing that um but it just feels like there's no spark left when the conversation about mental health comes up in from a policy perspective um but that for me it's really it's really exciting it's what i think is is massively important um and even saying it then i'm like it, it makes sense like that doesn't seem like it's completely unachievable and that, and that's the thing that I, I love what the fact that Dr. Alex has kind of got the ear and is is making change and especially like his his kind of <clears throat> post your pill and stuff like he's normalizing yeah. people's mental health and and that's the thing if we don't solve the mental health issues of children at school they are going to go and take it to places like uni because like fifty percent of children go into yeah. uni and they're then going to be in that place where they're on their own and they don't have as much support and I, I was reading on your post is it, something like there's a suicide at university every three days is that yeah. right yeah that's insane because my mm. my nephew's at school and um, at uni my eldest one and um he's really struggling with his mental health but it's it's also the cost cost of living out there obviously his parents yeah. support him as much as they can but there's this sudden kind of thing that how much kind of life costs and how much it costs to go out and do things and be social and that pressure of uni life as well it's you're kind of thrown into it on on your own yeah, I really, I, I really struggled. Actually, I struggled for a lot of reasons. Firstly, because I wasn't very good at maths, and I turned up at uni to do aerospace engineering. <laughs> so that was that was a fun learning curve. Realizing that I really did not understand maths, like many people did. Um, but also, I was there during COVID, and, and I, you know, I was in a flat, probably the size of size of most people's bathrooms, and it was uh, it was absolutely tiny. And I locked down um, within the first week of going back to uni. Um, I was a, I was alone in that room for ten days. It was like it was pretty awful. And I'm someone that spent, you know, at that point I spent the last four years talking about mental health. I had a counselor. Like I was pretty, pretty solid, pretty emotionally resilient. And I found that tough. 
Um, and during that year of sort of turbulence at uni, I got oh, message after message after message from people being like, um, my son, daughter's just taken her own life. My friend's just died. Um, what do I do? It was just, it almost felt like just constant, this just death everywhere. And it was really sad because it was people that were locked up in uni accommodation. Um, because I guess you, you carry that once you, once you carry those problems into university, you get into, into a position where you do have the option to shut the door and at uni, especially in the accommodation I was in, they're, they're these big fire doors and they slam shut and you have that, that door shut and you're just alone. You're so isolated, so physically isolated from everything. It's really a daunting place. And if you don't have those coping mechanisms in place and that sort of resilience and, and, and knowledge basis to go into, it's, it's really, really tough. And then even if you get through the work, even the uni, you end up in the workplace and the workplace, I mean, if you're, it's, it feels like potluck at the moment, whether you end up in a good company that does it, that deals with you well or a bad company that, that really doesn't. And, and you, you know, I work in hospitality. I do quite a lot of work with Wagamama and they obviously, I, I love them. They're absolutely great. They take it so seriously, but you know, you go into chefing um, and, and some, yeah. and some really stressful jobs. And it's just like, it, we, we need to, you know, we've almost missed the whole step in the learning process of all of these people and you could have saved decades of suffering and struggling but from just having those conversations and and I, I agree with you I think it's all about teaching people how to cope um giving people healthy coping mechanisms but also teaching them what they enjoy um I also volunteer for um shout the crisis text line um so I do I have conversations all the time with people that are that are you know the worst end of the mental health spectrum and and a, Almost all of the people on there are school-aged children. Um, and, you know, you sort of go through conversations with these people who usually are suicidal. Um, and I've, I'm always surprised when you ask the question of, is there anything, you know, once you've sort of taken them through and you de-escalate it and you've let them sort of calm down and, and feel better, you so I try and ask, like, oh, is there anything you can do now we've, once we've finished talking to, that you enjoy? Like, what do you enjoy doing? And I'm absolutely struck every time by how few people actually can answer that question with something that's like a, a fun thing, like an actually good thing. So often it's like, oh, maybe I'll just like watch a movie or I'll go on social media or like listen to some music. And although I guess that's good because it's a distraction, it's like, I don't know, I just, for me, it would be, I'd be like, oh, I'm just going to okay, text a friend, see if we can go for a walk or I'm going to just go like play tennis or go for a run or go for a walk. And sort of like this, this like fundamental foundation that they can fall back on doesn't exist, and they fall back on distraction and movies and social media, and you know. So I mean, we could go to we could have a whole whole hour and a half on social media and, and the <laughs> absolute nightmare that is, and that's ironic because I that's part of my, like my major part of my job, but social media is just an absolute attention pit um, that's just trying to steal your attention all the time. But I do, every time I have these conversations, I'm struck by how little people realise about what makes them happy. And it makes me really sad because those people are going to continue in a cycle um, because they don't really have an, a way of escaping those negative thoughts uh, and processing them properly um, if they're just distracting themselves with movies and TV and, um, and stuff like that. And alcohol when people get older. Uh, a, lot of my, a lot of people I work with have gone through serious problems with alcohol and drugs. 
because of university because they've gone to university with problems and then the accessibility of drugs and alcohol has just been like a well gift at the time that hasn't worked out to be so much of a gift and I, I think you hit it on the head the fact that like a lot of them will just watch telly or mm. listen to music but they're not getting that dopamine hit from it so they're not getting that kind of happy hormone that kind of yeah. will then de-stress you and de-escalate it and it's like um I, I've talked about it on a previous show I was um in a domestic abuse situation so um, and my friend, with the best advice she gave me, she was like, work on yourself, make yourself happy, and then either, then you should be strong enough to leave. And um, it was, it was doing the things that I did and the, and and going for runs and working out that I, I was, was giving myself this happy hormone and I was able to build myself back up and get myself into a much more positive state. And actually when I was left, I was absolutely fine because yeah. I'd worked on myself and got myself into that position. And I think it's, we, we're not giving the kids the tools. We're not also kind of explaining to them the importance of it and, and kind of right. If you, that, that kind of thing, if, if you have a stressful day, just go and work out or go and, and I've talked about this on another show where I talked about kind of how PE, I think potentially needs to change. Like we don't really teach kids about the gym and actually we need to, especially yeah. girls, we need to show them how to use the gym properly and explain like the benefits of it so they're not too scared or nervous to go into mm. it and actually mm. if they can build that better relationship with exercise and kind of healthiness then that, that the love of that kind of dopamine hit is going to kind of build them up and and help them manage stress in a different way and I do notice that the kids that do go to the gym because a lot of the GCSE lot will go to the gym because they'll, they'll talk I think it's because I talk about my life too much because I'm like oh I'm gonna work out later and they're like yeah me too miss I'm off to the gym are you working out and we have that like kind of oh I can't come to after school miss I've got, I've got gym tonight and there's there's that kind of conversation with them but they are the happier kids in school they're the more bubbly kids the yeah. ones that go and do that are the kids that have have built those habits into them so, so it, I can see that it does work um, but there's nothing to say, like, we've got a kid that's obsessed with the war and he makes aeroplanes in his, his spare time. Yeah. He's so happy in his little world yeah. making his aeroplanes and collecting memorabilia and brings it in and shows it all and talks to us for hours. Um, but it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, <laughs> it's what he loves. Um, yeah. And it's one of those, that if anybody says, oh, so-and-so said, um, you don't even know, need to know the student. People are like, is it that one? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like, oh, yeah, they talked to me yesterday. Um, but we don't mind it because that's their their thing. Mm. And I think it is the kids that have a thing, even if it's a weird thing, they are just happier. And there's this, there's, there's that really difficult stage, isn't there, at school where you don't know who you are and you, you don't quite know where you fit. And it's, yeah. and you, you can't, you haven't found that thing that you click with, but there's all these pressures that you must do well in certain things. And like I said, it needs to be that, that there needs to be more openness into trying different things. And I think also like that kind of preparation for life that it's okay to fail and it's okay to change your mind and change careers and change direction as well as a really important kind of lesson to learn. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, talk about change direction. That's exactly what I did. I might through, through school, my plan was to, go and do aerospace engineering which obviously its own issues <laughs> and then and then go into the army like that was my plan was going to the army um and <laughs> I, I couldn't be in a more different job i don't think um <laughs> and like that but that's fine like i found something i really enjoy like i absolutely love what i do now i get to meet amazing people have really cool conversation with people and be and do something that's really meaningful to me but this isn't uh, and this goes back to a point i said earlier like there exist so many jobs that you wouldn't even you don't even know what they are exist out there 
um and it's it's sort of like you if you close your mind to fitting into the box that that everyone else is in then you 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 are going to be unhappy because you are not designed to do what these people are doing and and yeah i think it's so important that people get the opportunity to explore and so this thing about planes and and collecting things i mean yeah i'm sure that i'm sure that is deadly dull to hear about but so amazing <laughs> so amazing <laughs> a person's found something they really love and i just really hope that they never feel like they need to drop that to fit in with everyone else because I think that's a real pressure in school as well of of having the same interests as other people and I know that's what Sam struggled with because you know if you don't like what other people like you're going you're probably going to drop what you like before you sort of drop them um and so yeah I think it's it's so important to give them the empowerment to go and explore things and then exactly on the episode on the exercise thing exercise is just absolutely vital it's completely vital. Um, running, I'm a big like big like I will just shout and shout about running and how good running is. Um, there's a book called Born to Run. It goes through sort of the history of a human being and how all of these, you know, Achilles tendon is the way it is because we are born to be endurance runners and our we stand up straight and our rib cage is designed like it is because we are born um, and created as endurance runners and and our history. Just like our biological past was as people that ran and went long distances and um and sort of that sort of slow paced running is it's part of our dna um and you know we've got a population of kids especially disadvantaged areas and disadvantaged kids that are pretty sedentary and don't really move much yeah. um and you know we know that even even five minutes even 30 seconds actually of exercise releases dopamine it releases norepinephrine which is stress buster it releases serotonin it makes you feel happy it makes you feel fulfilled it makes you feel stress-free it gives you the same impact as marijuana and (laughs) and opioids right (laughs) and and we've got it from literally moving our legs i mean what an what an amazing gift um or moving our body and it's so it's so important and you meet people that have been on a sort of journey. And I know Bella Mackey, the author, she talks really openly about this. It's like going through those that depressed, that depressive episode and then sort of finding exercise. And that's been the way through it because you give yourself that release and that, that, that you know, that place to go that releases those happy, feel-good chemicals. But also, importantly, you know, with, with the social media conversation, social media is acting on the dopamine pathway. So every time you scroll through social media, every time you like a post, every time someone likes your post, your brain releases dopamine. But just like any other drug, like the more it happens, the less your brain is receptive to those dop- that dopamine. So you'll need more and more to feel the same, right? So what's happened is basically we've got this whole generation of people that have had their dopamine receptors absolutely nuked by by social media and all of this just loud stuff that's grabbing their attention all the time so they find it incredibly difficult firstly they find it incredibly difficult to concentrate um which i think is one of the one of the answers to what's happened since covid to to behavior um and and to the general mental health of students but also it makes finding stuff that that fulfills them really quite hard um they have to work at it to find that that same release um but you know i've literally just this afternoon been on a podcast and talked quite a long time about social media and i just uh, you know this is these are platforms that have been designed by by with a lot of money employing some very very clever psychologists to create a psychologically addictive platform 
I mean, it, I, I was in Vegas um, randomly about three weeks ago and you sort of, you scroll through social media and what does it remind you of? It reminds you of slot machines. It's this never ending cycle of stuff. It's designed with the same premise that a slot machine has. And we're basically putting it into the, the, the hands of, of really impressionable young developing people. I think it's just an absolute disaster that that's got so big. Um, but then again, like I think, you know, there's, there's benefits to social media. I have a job because of social media, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's really dangerous. And we do, we do have to have, we have an issue there with, with that. Because obviously they've, they've, they've started calling for, or there's been a debate recently about phones in school. What's your opinion on yeah. phones in schools? I, I mean, I'm a photography teacher, so my kids kind of need them a bit. Mm. But um, but I do agree that actually not having them in schools would be a good thing <clears throat> in the respect that they would talk to each other and not go right. and hide in the toilets to go check their phones. I mean, our, our school is quite strict on it. They're not allowed them out. Um, okay. But you do notice it that, like, when they're outside, as soon as they go to get the bus and stuff, you see them all standing outside yeah. the school on their phones next to each other, not talking to each other. Mm. So I do think in that respect it, it can kind of – um widen that kind of oracy pathways we've noticed that a lot of the oracy within the kids they're not talking as much as they right were or have that lack of communication skill that they previously had because of covid and they've just not been talking to people right. as much um yeah. but it's interesting you say about the activity because my tutor group um we used to when they were i've had them for a few years they're now in year 10 and we used to, when they're in Key Stage 3, we used to have Sport Fridays. So we'd all go play um, bench ball or dodgeball and have big yeah. competitions. And they were really into it. But now they're in year 10 and 11. It's like, no, they've got to do an extra study session. And and I, I, I throw it out to them on, on, on Fridays. I'm like, should we go for a wellness walk? And if it's sunny, and they're like, yes. And we go and have yeah. a little wander around school together. But actually, it's oh, my amazing. point as well to drop in uh, into them. And I get to kind of have little chats with all of them and yeah. kind of find out how they're going on. And that's that's their point where they will tell me stuff. Um, yeah. But it's also like, it's just nice to get out and do stuff. And I, I love it. The kids in primary schools do their daily mile and stuff. And yeah. I think I think we need that in secondary school. I think the point where they get stressed and their mental health decline is actually where we need it more than in the yeah. younger years. Yeah, I agree. And actually one of the first things that when I was at school, that was the first thing I really did after Sam died was organise this um charity walk um and got everyone from school to come along and do this massive walk and and it was for me, I've always I was like I did DV at school um or Duke of Edinburgh at school and sort of like from me and my friends that was the only place that we ever really spoke about anything important or deep was when we were on these walks so I remember like <laughs> in the middle of Dartmoor on this on this ridiculous awful track <laughs> absolutely awful place and um and we were talking about some really deep stuff and stuff that like we'd never spoken about before and it's because you're sort of outside you're distracted you feel you're like safe and also like it feels very un confrontational to have a conversation with someone while yeah. you're walking because you're not looking at them you can sort of look around and be distracted by things it's a great it's a great thing to do and it's great that so many primary schools are, are doing that it really really is because you're again you're giving that giving people that ability to sort of understand that that's what is nice because for, because it's not rocket science this mental health stuff it really isn't like going for a walk is brilliant like if you're having a bad day going for a walk will probably change your day um, and it will give you the time and space to actually start processing some things and thinking about things. Um, like it's it's really not rocket science. So I think that's a I think that's a great thing to to give people and and so good that you do it with your class. And then also it just it gives them the opportunity to have those conversations with you because I think especially with mental health, there's this real push 
um, uh, you know, we hear it all the time, right? This whole talk about your mental health and it sort of, it makes something that's really complex quite simple when actually I think it's less about telling people to talk, but actually about trying to create environments and, and situations where people want to talk. Um, mm. And so going for a walk and inviting people out like that, it's a great way of actually not telling anyone what they've got to do, but actually just giving them the opportunity to. And if they want to take it, they'll, they'll take it. Um, but if they don't, then they don't have to. I think that's a brilliant, that's a brilliant thing to do. And so many, it would have such a benefit to people. But again, I mean, it's so again, we talk about like the pressures that school face. I don't know if it's changed since I was there. But I can't imagine there being much wiggle room in the in the timetable to get the whole school out on a on a walk. No, but, um, it could be amazing though. But yeah, it would be so you, you see it on sports day, but it, it's it's one day of the year, isn't it? Yeah. Um, unfortunately. Yeah. I've, I, I mean, I've kept you way longer than you said you'd give me. So um, I just want to say thank <laughs> okay. you very much for joining me. It's been a great conversation. And I think really it's, it's one that people kind of do shy away from and don't talk about it enough. And, and there is that gap, that opportunity for education to change and make room for it and, mm. and do a, a service for the students that can really impact them and, and have a change. And I think we've given lots of kind of strategies for people to consider and think about, especially if there's kids that you're worried about in your classes, um, to use and and yeah, I just want to say thank you because it's not it's not an easy conversation to have and and to share your experiences, but um, but yeah, so I'm I'm excited to see what else you do and how much you, you can uh, change and especially with the stuff with the universities because I think it's need somebody to shout for them. Thank you, Hannah. No, it's been really, really good uh, chatting to you. It's a really important conversation. You're right. It's not, it's not easy, but it, you know, it's the only way things are going to change is by us sort of having these conversations. And uh, yeah, it'd be really good to stay in touch and and hopefully work together on on some school stuff because I think oh, it's just someone needs to be sticking up for schools and and trying to help this get get improved because it doesn't feel like anyone in the House of Parliament particularly care. But anyway, it was really, really great to be here. Really great conversation, and thank you so much for having me on, Hannah. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining me. Have a lovely evening. Um, if anybody has any questions or anything they want to ask or any experiences they want to do, you're welcome to call in or add in your comments. I'm going to play the news and then we're going to discuss some of those shortly. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. In today's educational environment, students and teachers are juggling a mix of face-to-face, -face, online and blended learning courses. Canvas by Instructure helps teachers navigate these diverse learning experiences with a user-friendly virtual learning environment that offers flexible access to courses and a consistent learning experience, all while streamlining everyday teaching processes. The world's best schools and universities are using Canvas to create dynamic courses, collaborate seamlessly, and access actionable data that drives student success. On the 24th to the 26th of January, 2024, Bet UK is back and even better for educators. 
New for 2024, Table Talks empowers educators to collaborate openly and connect deeply with like-minded individuals in the education space, as well as Tech User Labs, the brilliant new tutorials and working groups at BET, where technology users will learn how to get more out of their institution's tech from the top education technology experts in the world. Whatever your goal, you'll find it at BET 2024. Educators go free. Get your tickets today at www.uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The BBC News website reports on announcements that GCSE students in England will get formulae and equations in their maths and science exams for summer 2024. The Department for Education has asked the exam regulator to extend preview support for another year to limit the impact of COVID. Most students who are due to sit GCSE exams next summer were in year seven when the first lockdown began. Teaching unions have welcomed the proposal, which is being consulted on. The DfE said it would mean enhanced formulae and equation sheets for pupils in maths, physics and combined science. Education Secretary Gillian Keegan said these pupils will be the last to experience two years of national closures during secondary school and that it was right that they get additional support. She went on to say it was disappointing that the decision had been made so late on, as many pupils will take mocks in the coming months or so. The union ASCOL welcomed the consultation, but argued that the provision of support materials should be permitted as it would reduce some of the stress of exam preparation and allow pupils to focus on core knowledge and skills. Prior to this announcement, exams in England had been due to return to 2019 arrangements. Exams were cancelled across the UK in 2020 and 2021 and grades were based on teacher assessments. When students returned to exam halls in 2022, they were given extra support. Some measures remained in place for exams in England in 2023, with exams in the same subjects spaced more apart, formulae and equation sheets in some subjects, and not being tested on unfamiliar vocabulary in modern foreign languages. But unlike the rest of the UK, students in England were not given information on topics on which they were being tested. England was also the only nation this summer to bring back in line with 2019 with Wales and Northern Ireland planning a slow return. As a result, the drop in pass grades was steepest in England. In another week of political drama, the latest government reshuffle has seen the return of many familiar faces. For education, it means the return of former Education Secretary Damien Hines as Schools Minister. He replaces Nick Gibb, who resigned to pursue a job in the diplomatic service. A report in FE Week focuses on Hines' previous experience leading the DfE between January 2019 and July 2019, during which time the government completed reforms to technical education. Hines has previously said, after his 2019 departure, that there was still work to do on social mobility. He was replaced by Gavin Williamson. The Education Secretary stated Mr Hines is hugely experienced and who would continue to build on Nick Gibbs' record of driving up standards. Mr Hines is the sixth person to hold the schools minister 
role in 18 months. The Glasgow Times reports on what it calls the long-term decline in education standards after the Institute of Fiscal Studies looked at Scotland's disappointing history in PISA figures, an international measure. Since 2012, Scottish scores in maths and science have declined. The figures also show a wide gap between the richest and poorest in maths, science and reading. But more well-off students also underperform when compared to their English counterparts. Large increases in spending and big reforms such as the Curriculum for Excellence do not seem to have translated into higher performance, according to Andrew McKendrick, one of the report's authors. A Scottish Conservative education spokesman said the report should act as a wake-up call for the SNP and Scottish Labour said it exposed the damage the SNP has done. Finally, Schools Week reports on the invitation to schools to request a free portrait of King Charles II under a new government scheme. The scheme is costing £8 million. Those wishing to take up the offer must apply before the 2nd of February 2024. The King will be shown in ceremonial dress and delivery of the images will take place between February and April next year. The A3 size picture will be printed on high quality paper and be in a glazed frame. Schools which display pictures of Her Late Majesty Queen Elizabeth will not be obliged to take down her portrait. Suggested placement of the image of His Majesty is reception areas or a function room or similar location. Schools will not be able to see the portrait before submitting requests. The image is not being funded from school budgets, but out of a separate pot similar to the scheme which provided a free book to every primary school pupil to mark the Queen's platinum. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Thank you for joining me tonight. Tonight has been a really interesting one. It's obviously since um, one of my students committed suicide, I have found the whole idea of student mental health quite interesting and how we can improve it for our students especially with family members and things like that everybody knows somebody else that's struggling and I think that's the thing that we've kind of discovered a bit tonight that actually a lot of it is making the students feel that they're not alone and that it is normal to feel like that and then to understand their emotions and how to change that but um Looking at statistics, so this is from Young Minds. Um, so this is uh, data from the Office of National Statistics, uh, which was analysed by Young Minds. Um, the suicide rate among young people aged 15 to 19 in England rose by 35% from 20 to 21. In, in 2020, 147 young people in England took their own lives. And this rose to 198 in 2021. And this is the highest number in over 30 years. Obviously, we don't have the, the data for 2022 yet. But um, I just think this this is something that's going to become further and going to go more and we're going to have to deal with it more as teachers. And um, I remember actually when I was at school, um, my teacher saying to us that um, it was on our last week of school and he said, it's very rare that uh, a cohort goes five years and you go five years at school without there being a death. Um, and then unfortunately my friend died it, it wasn't a mental health death but that's always stayed with me and actually I've had it throughout my career I've never gone five years of my teaching career without having the death of a student and that's kind of stayed with me that that we are going to be in these situations where students are are in those situations and, and we have to be the people and be 
so you can't put it all on you there's that there's that thing as well that we are just teachers and and same with the people the mental health support workers in the school they are only one person you can't do everyone at, at the same time it's just not physically possible and there's the ones that are shouting the loudest that need the attention it's also the quiet ones so don't forget the quiet ones make sure you notice them in your classroom and it's really important that we're kind of really considering how we can change this and change this for our students uh, and and the little things that we've discussed tonight are just important kind of tools and and little things that we can do that granted that they 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 might not help them flourish in english and maths but they will help them in being better humans and being better people and managing themselves better and they will give them more life skills if we can make our students happier isn't that the end goal when they leave as well um uh, there was this, the article I read earlier about from the uh, Guardian that was written by Sarah Marshall. Uh, she discussed a study that was done of um, nineteen thousand young people from the millennium, and they were they were tracked from the millennium. And in that, um, they also discussed it with a, a doctor, Doctor Bradanka Dickey, who is chair of the Royal College of Psychiatric Children, Psychiatrist Children's and Adolescent Mental Health Facility. Um, she said that it's, she's really concerned by the findings. And this was back in 2001. And she said it is going to get only get worse. Um, in it, she said about the NHS data showed that 41% of all admissions to hospitals for self-harm were teenagers. Um, and we need to consider kind of that impact. Like we're, we're having an impact on the NHS. That, that's a huge amount of the self-harms being from teenagers. And we need to make sure that we're giving these kids the... Um, tools to be able to manage themselves so they don't get there I mean obviously there's some there's some great place I've just mentioned Young Minds Cooth I mentioned at the start is an app where which students can have a free app I highly recommend you um, uh, recommend that to any students that are, are struggling promote that as much as you can in your schools because students can log on free and talk to somebody obviously there's Samaritans as well um, and we've just we, we do have lots of great resources um available as well so um obviously there's young mind uh, crisis messenger as well so you can text them and they'll get in contact um and it's just really important that we have these resources and we make them available to students so students know where to go and know where to get help but also that we're kind of giving them those those strategies and it is going to be an increase thing that's going to happen in schools and I think unless schools get on top of it and start considering how they can manage it then it's it is only going to get worse and it, and it is, is really difficult we are teachers and we are meant to teach and this we've got so much that we have to do in our day today in our classroom but I think this needs to be top of your list get those connections with those students ask them about their hobbies and things because that's like like ben said that's quite an easy thing to actually talk about with kids and actually if you work out that they don't have hobbies they're maybe the ones that we need to prioritize and think about so think about the things that you could maybe even do in a school survey or a school school voice that could help you as a school kind of identify things or then be able to potentially put things into action to be able to help those students and help them find support and find different places and different ways to support themselves um, I just think it's it's 
such an important thing and we need to we all those who shout loudest are heard most so i think as a community as 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 teachers we need to shout louder to the government that, that that we need more help i mean cams is on its knees and it's taking forever to get the kids referred to and of schools having mental health workers in it that that's not anywhere near it needs to be a hundred percent um, and we need to do that. And we Otherwise, we're doing a disservice to our students. We need the government to step up and provide that for our students and make sure they're getting the support that they need. Um, so thank you very much for listening on this Wednesday night, slightly different night for me. Um, and thank you very much for Ben West for joining me and uh, talking about his experiences. If you want to follow him on Instagram, he is I am Ben West. So you can find him on there. So thank you very much for listening to the show. And I hope you have a lovely week. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. In today's educational environment, students and teachers are juggling a mix of face-to-face, online and blended learning courses. Canvas by Instructure helps teachers navigate these diverse learning experiences with a user-friendly virtual learning environment that offers flexible access to courses and a consistent learning experience, all while streamlining everyday teaching processes. The world's best schools and universities are using Canvas to create dynamic courses, collaborate seamlessly, and access actionable data that drives student success. On the 24th to the 26th of January, 2024, Bet UK is back and even better for educators. New for 2024, Table Talks empowers educators to collaborate openly and connect deeply with like-minded individuals in the education space, as well as tech user labs, the brilliant new tutorials and working groups at BET, where technology users will learn how to get more out of their institution's tech from the top education technology experts in the world. Whatever your goal, you'll find it at BET 2024. Educators go free. Get your tickets today at www.uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.